Hey, everyone. <laughs> that was a long hey. My name is Sumbul Siddiqui. And I'm Alana Mallon, and we are two new Cambridge city councilors, and this is our podcast, Women Are Here. What a week. <laughs> One day we're going to walk in here and not say that. I know. <laughs> How about we'll start over? This is our podcast, Women Are Here. Hello. Hey. Hey, I've had a great week. I've had a great week, too. <laughs> um, you can't see our tears. <laughs> no, we're just kidding. They're so... It's, Right below the surface. Yeah, um, I do have some exciting news. Did you walk here through Central I, Square? I did. Okay, so today is November 1st, and the taste of the bid, which is the business improvement district here in Central Square, started this morning. I was <laughs> psychotically out here at like 8 a.m. stalking. We have four ambassadors that are working seven days a week. They have cleaned so much today. It's crazy. It looks so good. It looks so good. There's bags of trash. I don't know where they got all this trash, but there are bags and bags of trash <laughs> on the waiting to be picked up. They've they've picked tons of weeds. It looks the guy was out there scraping off stickers. So anyways, this is going to be happening over the next month. Um, this is going to give property owners and the residents a chance to really understand what having a business improvement district here in Central Square will mean and what it will look like. Um, there are lights going up in the trees. So when the sun goes down later today, you'll see beautiful um, white lights in the trees. There's more murals going up. And man, it looks clean out there. So if you get a chance, check out Central Square over the next 30 days and, and check out what a bid would look like. And hats off to you, Councilor Mallon, for really your leadership on this because it wouldn't have happened without you. Yeah, I mean, sure. But I have... Duh. <laughs> Uh, hats off to Mike Monasteem and the Central Square Business Association for really making this um, come to life. I'm really, I'm so happy to be supporting this particular effort because I think it's it's necessary for Central Square. And I'm like absurdly excited. My Twitter, don't look at it today. It's I like, ignored it. <laughs> just kidding. It's like, picture of this guy picking a weed. Anyway, anyways, just ignore it the whole day. But awesome. Yeah. And go to Central Square, everyone. Yeah, totally. Um, we had... Uh, a busy week so far. So Tuesday night, we had um, a vigil uh, at the on the steps of City Hall for the 11 people killed at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, um, as well as mourning Vicki Lee Jones and Maurice Stollard, the African-American grandparents who were killed in Louisville last Friday um, at a Kroger grocery store. Both were hate crimes, and it was important, I think, and so did many of the speakers I was happy to see, to hold all 13 people in our hearts as we stood together uh, on the City Hall lawn. The Louisville tragedy didn't get as much coverage as the Tree of Life did nationally, so I think it was important as a community that we made sure to reflect and remember both tragedies equally uh, on Tuesday. And I was thinking about not only these tragedies, um, uh, but also the ones in the past, you know, at the Gurdwara, and I think it was, was it Minnesota? Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, in the church in Charleston, all situation, and Quebec, yeah. uh, a, a, um, a, what, a mosque there. Uh, and so, it, you know, this is hap- has been happening time, time again. These, these, these people are hate crimes, but they're also just white supremacists who uh, are, they're terrible. It's just terrible. I have no words because I'm, it just keeps happening. Yeah, and I there's something so horrifying about murdering a bunch of people as they pray together as a community. Right. 
Um, so to me, that's the, a particularly heinous piece of this. Um, here are these church-going folks, these synagogue-going folks, these mosque-going folks, just wanting to be mm-hmm. together and pray. And, and um, you know, the guy in Louisville, he tried to go to an African-American church, church and, right. and was not be able to get, go in. So he went to a grocery store just intent on killing African-Americans. And I just, it's just, it's really despicable. And it's, I, I would say that there were so many times that I was moved during the vigil. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, one of the pieces that was most poignant was an interfaith vigil. So there was um, several rabbis, there was um an imam was there, and then there was a, a minister from this faith Lutheran church on Broadway. And one of the th- this, he was telling this story. Um, he's, their church wanted to do a dinner program for the homeless, and they have this huge kitchen, but they really didn't have enough volunteers to put it together each week. And there was a shul nearby who also wanted to provide a weekly meal to the homeless who had lots of volunteers but had a pretty small area and no kitchen. So these two faith communities have been teaming up for years to provide a meal uh, for homeless folks using the kitchen at Faith Lutheran and volunteers from the shul and that neither one of them could have done this themselves. And that for him, that was the definition of community. Community is built when you break down silos and join together on a shared mission and combine resources to make your community a better, healthier place. So that was one moment for me where I felt like I was very, very moved um, with that story and really understanding that it's all about partnerships and, and community and combining resources for shared for shared goals. And then God, at the end when the rabbi was singing and the crowd all joined her and the hundreds of voices were all singing and holding candles, I just I just felt like we might be okay. Like as a society, just looking out and seeing all these people together, we might we, we might be okay. Light in the dark. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, when, it, the, when the rabbi got up, she said, you know, it's so beautiful seeing all of you out here and lit up the light in the dark. So I hope we don't have to go to a, a vigil, another vigil. I know somebody said that the other night. Like, I hope this is the last vigil we ever hold here. And Fortunately, yeah. I feel like I've been to a few in the past right, 10 months. So. Right. So that was uh, that was Tuesday night. Um, so some highlights from our meeting on Monday night, our city council meeting. I co-sponsored a policy order and home rule petition that the vice mayor Jan Devereaux sponsored, asking the state legislature legislature to allow Cambridge to offer early voting in future elections for city council and school school committee. So the vice mayor worked with the with Boston City Councilor Josh Zakem, who filed a, a companion home rule petition with Councilor Kim Janey at Boston's. Uh, city council meeting a few weeks ago on this order uh, the mayor also uh, sponsored with us so just uh, for those who who don't know uh, it is the early voting period for the November 6th general election and it started October 22nd I voted I just voted I know I (laughs) saw your sticker (laughs) it was in my hair (laughs) and Anana was like do you there's a sticker in your hair and I was I didn't even notice <laughs> well I mean I was gonna let you go to this event tonight with a sticker in your hair but it was gonna be a yeah, you looked out for me <laughs> so uh currently state law doesn't allow cities to offer early voting in our municipal elections which are held in off years meaning odd years uh early voting can be more convenient for voters and eliminates the need to plan ahead to request an absentee ballot if in-person voting um in election day 
becomes impossible if there's last minute travel, you're sick, something comes up, you, you can't come. Uh, you know, it provides just more opportunities to vote, shorter lines, and raises awareness that elections are taking place, which in turn could increase turnout uh, among newer residents, among younger residents who may have not voted in prior local elections, because there is a big drop off between the general <laughs> huge. Yeah, we only had 23,000 people vote in the in the municipal yeah. elections last time. And before that, it was like 17,000, 17, 18, yeah. So uh, it's really important that we get out there and um, support this effort because, uh, it, I, you know, it isn't just about convenience and uh, you're not just making a decision about the person you want to vote for. It's uh, for historically in many states around the country, historically, there's been just so many barriers to keep people from voting on election day. So the more we can, uh, you know, help, make it easier the better should the state legislature pass the petition it'll be up to our respective election officials to determine an appropriate schedule and budget appropriation to offer early voting in future municipal elections even possibly as soon as the november 2019 city council and school committee elections so stay tuned i just got a little ptsd when i did too <laughs> i know that. i we're running again like tomorrow so <laughs> Well, I was thinking last like last night as I was handing out candy at my house um, that last year at this time I was so brain dead. I just so was like, brain dead. Just handing out candy to people, just being like, "Happy Halloween, Happy Halloween." I, I think I went home Halloween last Halloween. I was just like, I can't deal. Yeah, can't deal. Um, okay, yeah. So there was a couple other things on the agenda that were um, noteworthy. One was a, a policy order put in by City Councilor. Denise Simmons, um, co-sponsored by you. Me. Yep. Um, About gender-neutral bathrooms. So in City Hall and other municipal buildings. So this is something that came, well, has been coming up for a long time, but especially around the Yes on 3 policy order that was put in about a month ago to have the city council support it. You know, Councilor Simmons then at that time said, you know, we, we, yes, we are very pro, um, uh, these trans issues and making sure that we're supporting our trans residents. But at the same time, we we don't have gender neutral bathrooms in City Hall. And so we need to be looking at our own house. So I'm excited about that one. That one went through. And so we'll keep you all posted on that. Um, and then River Street is being reconstructed. So from Memorial Drive into uh, Central Square, over the next several years, it will be fully reconstructed. And there was a policy order to make sure that we actually have protected bike lanes or some kind of bike lane on River Street because it's, it's a, such a huge yeah. connector from yeah. um, from Boston over the river into Central Square. So just ensuring that we, consider, we go yeah, on we record and make sure that that, you know, there, there are ones on Western, but we need to make sure that they're coming the other way up on River Street. And the last thing is that we, you and I had a, an order together to consider a mid-Cambridge dog park. Um, so we wanted to bring this forward. So I've had neighbors with dogs ask if part of the Joan Lawrence Park at the main library next to the Totlot playground could be fully fenced off so that their dogs could be off leash at all times of the day, not just the 8 to 10 a.m., which are the official hours on the city's website. Uh, or for dog owners who aren't comfortable having their dogs off leash um, and not inside a fence. So lots of my neighbors actually drive their dogs to another part of the city to be off leash leash and would like a closer option so we currently have off leak <laughs> off, leak. Uh, off, le- <laughs> off leash dog parks in east west and north cambridge so this would add a small option in mid cambridge so it had quite a it had there were some folks that um 
concerns. So I had some concerns, and they were very valid. So um, we amended it on the floor to consider other parts of Mid-Cambridge as well, not just this area. So um, hopefully a dog park will be coming to Mid-Cambridge and people won't have to drive their dogs to another part of town to just yeah. be off leash. Do you have a favorite dog type? Um, I don't like... Dogs? No, I do like oh. dogs. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't like cats. Mm-hmm. I do like dogs. I like a big, like a medium-sized dog. Okay. Like a lab or a golden yeah. retriever or something like that. Yeah. Although I am obsessed with like boo oh really oh my god i love that dog i used to love boo but he got creepy what yeah he's so cute i guess i mean i don't know that i'd want to have a boo. anyways yeah like a medium-sized dog i love golden retrievers oh Oh my god like just love you for no reason like home have you have you seen homer bond of course i have so shadow shadow oh shadow i love you uh, that so, movie is like a hundred years old. It is. It is. But <laughs> I... Sally Struthers still have, was the cat. What was her name? Misty. Misty. <laughs> so annoying. Why did I know that? I don't know. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Stay tuned on that front. Um, okay. And then we also had a few human service committee meetings since we last had this podcast. And the first was last Thursday, which was on um, the summer food program. So this was a great meeting with the Department of Human Services, Project Bread, which is the statewide resource for the summer food program, and the Parks Department and the libraries. So this, if you don't know, um, the federal summer food program provides daily lunches at sites in Cambridge for six weeks at either closed sites like summer camps or youth centers or open sites in the park. And the number of the years, ugh, the number of areas in the city that will fit now within the federal guidelines have been shrinking over the last several years, and the city actually had to pay for two sites to operate and deliver food last summer as an open site. And this will shrink again next summer. So we wanted to meet with Project Bread and our city departments to see how we can plan and be creative early enough in the planning and budget process to make an impact next summer. So a couple of reasons for this is, um, one, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Ed has figured out that we we don't have neighborhood schools, um, so they can't determine where to place the summer food sites based on um, how many kids there are low income. So now they're using census tracts. And there are not that many census tracts that actually are low income, considered low income enough to hold a summer food program. Um, So... One of those places that we've been having an open site for summer food is at Danny He Park, and we are going to lose that next year. And it's probably one of the better attended yeah. ones. Um, so we had a bunch of ideas that were generated that was really excited about. Project Bread did a great job um, presenting and being creative with us. So one of them is to actually move um, or start a summer food program at the Central Square Library. Uh, where there are lots of kids in the summertime, and it's um, actually in a census tract, so that could be fun. Um, Adding low-cost adult meals. So currently right now, if you come to a park or um, the library, your kids get a meal, but you aren't actually able to access one, even if you wanted to pay for it. So that was an idea that um, came out of this, that it would you know, people could eat together. Um, And then a basketball league dinner program instead of lunch at um, one of the sites. So for example, Senate Park gives out 13 lunches as an average daily uh, participation rate. But on Mondays and Wednesdays, there are over 100 people there for basketball league kids, siblings, their friends and parents. So this could actually lead to a much higher participation rate. Um, And which is what it's all about. We've got a gap between the number of kids that receive free lunch in the summer and the number of kids that access um, a free lunch in um, during the school year. So we're just trying to close that gap a little bit and be creative about where we can 
make the biggest impact and make sure we're getting these kids fed over the summer. I mean, it's only a six-week program. Summer is 10 weeks anyway, so it's really important to try to figure out how to deliver this food right where people are and, and ensure that we're, we're feeding kids over the summer. And kids eat a lot. so I They mean, do, and especially in the summer, they're growing right. so much. Every fall, I go back to, like, my kids go back to school, and I realize how much kids grow over the summer. Right, right. I th- Yeah, I thought it was a great presentation. And essentially, Project Bread, they're w- willing to provide free consulting to the city on this. And that's, it's an amazing resource. It is, and it's, it's, it's even more amazing for me. Yeah. Uh, because um, the woman who's actually in charge of this area now is a, a co-worker, colleague, and a good friend, Chrissy Scomenia, who um, took over the Somerville Weekend Backpack Program. So she was been running that for several years, and um, she actually worked with me at Food for Free. So now she's at Project Bread, and um, she's amazing, and I think she will be a huge resource for us as we try to be creative. And then we also had a human services meeting this week on workforce development programs. Another favorite of ours. Another topic we'd love to talk about. We'd love so to talk about it. Cambridge is home to a host of programs that seek to help individuals looking for employment, such as Cambridge Works, the Cambridge Employment Program, and Next Step. We'll hear about that a little later. Uh, we also have a number of goals uh, as part of the Envision Cambridge process, such as providing access and training uh, and education um, to for low-income and moderate-income residents to determine readiness to access existing industry-focused training programs and inform design of new programs, uh, design new programs and training to help current employees advance to the next level employment, and partnerships for employers to hire graduates of city-sponsored workforce development programs. There's a lot right now that's happening um, in this industry. We have a big tech industry. We have a big uh, biomedical, ho- bio, you know, hospitality yep. uh, industry. Building going, boom. Huge. You know, every day there's something coming up. So how do we figure out how uh, our residents benefit from that? Yeah. And it, in my previous and current life working on anti-poverty programs here in the city that, I, you know, I know that in order to work on this issue holistically and truly lift people out of poverty, we need to be thinking not just about immediate needs like food or temporary shelter, um, but also permanent stable housing and safe neighborhoods and access to good paying jobs with benefits and ensuring our residents are taking part in the innovation right. economy that's existing here in the city and has been. So, and, you know, I mean, more personally, I've been working directly with students at the RISTA program at CRLS over the last several years with the backpack program. And I've been pretty disheartened to see the lack of post-graduation opportunity for some of those students. And, um, you know, this this hearing was an, an opportunity for us to better understand where the gaps exist for our kids who are 18 to 24, which is considered our, you know, opportunity youth, and who are among our, our most vulnerable. So these are the kids we really need to be helping to be successful. But in order for us as a city to be successful, it has to be a public-private partnership approach with the Department of Human Services programs, but also our partners in the nonprofit space, um, like Just to Start, and partners uh, like MIT, in order to take that holistic approach that our young people resident, young people and residents need. So we heard from our DHSP workforce programs. Um, so Cambridge Works has two sessions a year and serves about 25 adults with workforce training and providing internships in local companies. Next up is a brand new workforce program that's geared towards a younger audience, kids who've graduated from high school but aren't sure what's next up for them. Um, they have about 12 kids in their pilot program, and once the pilot is done, DHSP will evaluate what worked and what didn't, and then hopefully launch a full program. 
We also heard from Justice Start, uh, one of our local nonprofits. They have some great programs. They have a biomedical and IT program, both of which are tuition-free workforce development programs. The biomedical program is in its 27th year. That's insane. I mean, wow. Yeah, it's, you know, offers low-income adult uh, opportunities to begin successful careers in biotech, life sciences, or healthcare. Uh, it runs from January to September. It's a nine-month program, and it provides instruction in biology, chemistry, and medical terminology, as well as applied laboratory instruction at Bunker Hill uh, Community College. And students also receive career development training and networking opportunities with biomedical professionals. Um, you know, they have, um, you know, they they just do great work. I I was really impressed to to just know m- more about the the makeup of. The, the students. There's a lot of immigrants. A lot of females. A lot of females. Uh, you know, both programs are over half female. And their students, um, you know, have degrees in their home country that they can't use. You know, similar to my parents. They both have degrees. They could never use them. I know. It's such a, it's a huge problem. And so this is seeking to sort of redress some of those issues. Yeah. And they actually recruit out of um, the affordable housing developments. They work with the community learning center if they want to join the program, but their math or language skills need to be improved before they join the program. Uh, I, you know, I think we, <laughs> I hope we can keep give them more funding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they seem to have two challenges. One is funding, um, particularly if if you're a 27 year old um, program program. Nobody's like running to give you money. People mm-hmm. want to fund things that are new and fresh and interesting. Um, but also they seem to have a real capacity problem on the lab side that Bunker Hill Community College um, only has so much lab space and they use it from nine to three. It's pretty intense. So I was kind of like MIT was sitting there at the table and I, I was like, are there any other universities that have lab space? <laughs> MIT is the number one property owner in Cambridge. Yeah, it was so. interesting. I mean, we have a ton of lab space and there's the community lab space at yeah. Biogen, which didn't seem to work out. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we could probably one of the things figure that, it out. Yeah, one of the things that came out of that meeting was, geez, we really need to figure that one out. Because um, we have a lot of lab space just here. I mean, I know that they use it nine to three, but I, I feel like we could connect them somehow. Absolutely. Um, so... Yeah, and speaking of MIT, they were there because as part of the Volpe project in um, Kendall Square, one of the community benefits that they had to come up that they came up with was creating a jobs connector. And so that was sort of not a fully formed idea. So they are in the stage right now in process of trying to figure out what does that look like? What would a jobs connector look like? What exists in the city and how would they not want to compete with what already exists in the city? And so they're, I guess they're going to start making the rounds and talking to people about um, what that's going to look like. They have a space, a location, which is right on Main Street across from Washington Elms, which is like a perfect um, perfect, perfect yeah. place to reach the underserved youth in Cambridge. And I'm, I'm excited about that being there. But I would really like to see Cambridge, and I said this really strongly in the meeting, um, I'd like to see Cambridge adopt a building pathways program like the one in Boston that connects youth to trade and union jobs for building. It's a six-week program that exposes uh, participants to each area of the building trades. And then at the end, each participant gets to pick a trade area like a steel worker, carpenter, electrical, plumbing. um, And then they're placed into a paid apprenticeship with that union. This program has been so successful in Boston. And Boston has actually a construction residency requirement, which we don't have. 50% of all the people on the jobs in development in Boston 
um, have to be residents. So this jobs connector that MIT is committed to building and is looking to see what is needed, I, I don't think it should be more of the same types of workforce development. We can strengthen what is successful, but we should be fo- focusing on a new workforce development option. As you mentioned earlier, you know, hospitality is another area that I think we can hope to look at as well. As I said, you know, I've been working with the RISTA Culinary Arts Program, and it'd be great to have a place for those kids who don't want to go to culinary school um, just to connect right to. I was saying in the meeting, it, kids seem to go to either Johnson & Wales or they work at Starbucks. I see so yeah. many of those culinary arts kids working at Starbucks, and it would be great to have a hospitality program to connect them to better jobs that will have sort of an advancement opportunity absolutely yeah um and then i cha the cambridge housing authority wasn't there but uh they do have programs as well they have a something called this way ahead it's a partnership between gap and the cambridge housing authority and it serves youth in boston uh, and cambridge and it's a year-long customer service and work readiness training program for youth ages 16 to 24 and it's been very successful um is that like the gap yeah it's the gap. What's and the gap? So uh, it's offered twice a week at both CHA and the Boston Housing Authority and run by TWA, the, those way ahead coordinators with involvement from Gap, Banana Republic, and Old Navy oh, managers. They're all, yeah, and they're all the, I guess. Yeah, awesome. yeah. And so it covers basic employment skills as well as skills specific to the retail environment. And that's another really, that's a growing, it, it's always growing, but yeah. retail um, jobs, <laughs> there's a lot of retail jobs. So it's great that we have this program that comes out of the Cambridge Housing Authority. And they also offer a workforce youth program, uh, which has been very successful. So it was great to get an update from many of these providers. Yeah, and the one, the, another one that wasn't there that I ended up going to that oh, night yes. was um, the Loop Lab, which is a brand new workforce development program for kids 18 to 24 um, who are interested in a career in um, audiovisual recording, podcasting, sound mixing, sound engineering. Um, so I got to check out their new space. Um, there's They have five students right now. And what they've been able to do, I've got to see sort of some of their projects that they've been doing over the last three weeks. I was really impressed. Yeah. I was I like, you guys should like, check it out. Well, you guys, they should do our podcast. Like they can mix in music. Ooh. They can do editing. You can jazz it up. We can get fancy. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. We don't edit this at all. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was a great meeting and I'm sure there will be a lot of follow up. Yeah, and I well, like what I said was this is the first of many. Yeah. Because this is something that we we're both really passionate about and, and um, want to help strengthen programs and find those gaps. Um, so we have an event tonight, which is, this is one of my favorite organizations. It's the Cambridge Housing Assistance Fund, or CHAF, um, which is a community coalition com- committed to preventing and ending homelessness in Cambridge. So they raise funds to assist the homeless and people who are about to experience homelessness with a startup cost of securing permanent housing. It was originally founded in 1999 by the Cambridge Community of Realtors, Uh, as a response to the city's growing numbers of homeless and the desire to maintain diversity in Cambridge. Um, So they raise money through their coalition and then in turn, turn they provide the funding to two Cambridge service providers that deal directly with residents, Homestart and the Multi-Service Center, to pay for expenses related to rental housing and startup costs, which, you know, the first last month's rent, security deposit, and rental fees can be well over $4,000. And no, people don't... (laughs) Nope. People don't just have that. I don't have that. Mm-mm. 
So since their inception, they've helped over 2,000 families who are either homeless or on the verge of being homeless. And the Cambridge Multiservice Center reports that 10 to 15 families a month or more are in danger of losing access to an affordable apartment due to their inability to save enough for the required startup costs. So it's an important community resource, and they're doing such great work. Um, but the need is so, so great. So if you want to check them out, come tonight, Thursday, uh, November 1st, to the Regatta Bar. Or you can check them out online at um, www.chafund.org. Yeah, we're going right after, so it should be fun. It should be fun. Uh, tomorrow night, the Bridge Repertory Theater has a play uh, this week and uh, next week called The Midterm Shake-Up. Uh, it's a night of Shakespeare's iconic political scenes. This looks good. Uh, I think we're trying to go tomorrow night, We right? are trying to go. Is that seven? Yeah. Okay. I think I can do it. You're free? I'm free. All right. Maybe Friday we'll nights are good for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm usually like in my pajamas at four o'clock. <laughs> you know, seriously. So as uh, the premise uh, in the description are as follows, it's at the Multicultural Arts Center. As our deeply divided country, <laughs> you could say that again, uh, <laughs> hurdles toward another election, Shakespeare offers nonpartisan breathing room and historical perspective on our modern civil strife. Mark? Antony's friends, Romans, countrymen headlines uh, an intense lineup from a smattering of plays, all of which shine a light on the questions and forces shaping our time. People, it's theater happening right here in Cambridge. You should, you should go. go. <laughs> yeah, please go. So the the picket the pickets <laughs> the tickets for, uh, are at uh, bridgerep.org. Um, and if you go tonight or tomorrow night, there's going to be in a beer and wine bar featuring shakes beer. <laughs> Beer. Which is a real thing. I looked it up online. <laughs> yeah. So um, you should join us tomorrow night. Yep, totally. So this week we have a regular uh, city council meeting Monday and a few committee hearings next week. Um, the first on Wednesday, November 7th, the Health and Environmental Committee is going to be ha- conducting a public hearing to discuss the safety of natural gas infrastructure in Cambridge. This is a hot, hot. topic. I did see on the Twitter. This made me really mad. So in Boston, there was a hearing similar to this, and Ayanna Presley, who is still a Boston City Councilor until the end of the year, called National Grid National Greed on purpose, obviously, and then some dude on Twitter called her out, like, like making fun of her for misspeaking. Ugh. What? Wrong. Wrong. Anyway, I was like, don't you go after my girl. I know. Don't, don't touch her. <laughs> don't touch her. Um, so that's on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, the Transportation and Public Utilities Committee is going to be conducting a public hearing to discuss the Federal Communications Commission new policy on regulating small cell technology. And I'm going to go to that meeting because I have no idea what that means. Do you know what that means? No, I don't. No idea. I, <laughs> on, what I'm, is small I'm so cell glad I'm not on this <laughs> committee because. I yeah I have no idea please report back I will I'm going to take excellent please. notes um I saw that and I was like hmm <laughs> I saw that too and I was like oh there's a reason I'm not in this and I committee. was thinking oh that is something I guess I have to <laughs> learn be- about become an expert on between now <laughs> and Thursday <laughs> uh, all right and so also on Thursday is going to be the second arts task force meeting so this month I'm actually super excited about um this month's meeting because 
Malia Lazu of the Urban Labs, Labs will be coming to lead us in a conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion as it relates to art and what we're trying to accomplish and how implicit bias shows up and how we can make sure that we're recognizing it through this work. Um, she and I met yesterday to prep for this meeting and I actually was like really shook by a conversation that we've had. As I've said here before, we're, I'm on my own cultural competency journey and we all can use these types of trainings, but I really learn something mind-blowing every single time. So I think this is going to be a great conversation. Every task force member, when I did my interviews with them, mentioned that it was something that we really need to talk about. It's an underlying Absolutely. issue around equity and inclusion in art. Who are we, like, who gets to decide exactly. what public art looks like? Who gets to decide who gets to make it? Um, are we talking about this task force? Are we talking about arts in Cambridge for people who consume art? Or are we talking about it for people who create and make art that need to be supported? So having this conversation early um, and together is going to give us a shared experience to draw on, I think, over the next seven months where we are actually going to be having some hard conversations. <laughs> I'm so sorry to be missing that. I really want to go. I'm missing. Um, I'm not on any. I'm not on the Health and Human Services Committee um, I really wanted to go to the one on um, the Feeney Brothers because of me working in Lawrence and sure, the impact. Yeah. I will be at a conference next week in Los Angeles. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Alana was supposed to come, but her her daughter's birthday is in the middle of the yep, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. We went over that. Jasper's more important. <laughs> I get it. Uh, so I'm going to something called the City Summit of the National League of Cities. So I'm really looking forward to report back. I've never been to LA either. I can't wait to hear this because it sounds so much more interesting than the one we did yes, in Washington, yeah. D.C. And I did this conference in Nashville in 2003 as a high school student, as a youth delegate. Oh. Coming full circle. <laughs> uh, so I will report back and I'll miss you. So we won't be doing this next. We will have a nice uh, longer pod podcast the week after. Yeah, because you'll be telling us like all about every restaurant you went to. <laughs> all the celebrities <laughs> all I stalked. I cannot wait. Uh, so uh, two more events. On Thursday, November 8th, there will be a movie screening at the, uh, of the movie A Better Man at the Kindle Square Cinema as a benefit for Transition House and Emerge, the Cambridge-based abuser intervention organization. Uh, the film offers a very rare first-person glimpse into how abuse happens in an intimate relationship and gives insight about ways those who abuse can be accountable for their actions. It's told from the perspectives of both the survivor and her abusive former partner and has won awards and a lot of great press at film festivals worldwide. The filmmaker Atiyah Khan is a dedicated violence prevention and advocate and documentarian. She actually lived in Cambridge and worked at Transition House 13 years ago. Uh, she'll be in town for a Cambridge Boston debut screening uh, at the Boston Square Seminar on November 8th. So please come. Uh, you can find more about the film at uh, abettermanfilm.com. I'm really sad to be missing this, actually, yeah. um, because it it does seem like it's going to be an interesting way to to talk about domestic violence. Um, and the Transition House is a great organization that <laughs> I would love for people to turn out and really support them. Absolutely. So definitely go there. Yep. And then this weekend um, on Sunday, November 4th, the Women's Commission is presenting a panel at the library um, called Shaping the Social Contract, Insights from the Women of Brook Farm. It's going to be held at the main library. And so it's an opportunity to meet seven remarkable women who visited and joined the Brook Farm utopian community. And by utopian, I think they mean it was like all women. <laughs> yeah. 
in the um, early to mid-1800s, and it's about their social agenda and the 19th century abolition and suffrage movements to the 21st century's issues of race and gender equality. So I actually was talking with Kimberly Sensusi about um, this from the Women's Commission earlier this week, and she was telling me all about this Brook Farm, and I had never even heard of it. I've never heard of it. So um, that will be that will be really fun. That's again at the library this Sunday, November fourth at two p.m. And this weekend, talk about PTSD, but it is uh, Get Out the Vote weekend because yeah. the election is on Tuesday. So I will be canvassing uh, for yes on three. Okay, uh, and uh, if you'd like to join me, uh, definitely. Which day are you going? I'm going to go Sunday. Okay. Yeah, are you going to go at all? I'm going to well so my husband is traveling to New oh. York. Um Oh yeah. for a congressional candidate there and I think he's going to be gone all weekend. Mm. So uh unless I might try to find a place for my children. You can phone call too. I can't I hate phone calling. Yeah. I would much rather knock on people's doors. Is that oh. so weird? No, I wish you could come with me. I know. So last Sunday I actually spent the evening um, at work yeah. bar, they're doing activist afternoons, and they have a bunch of different things this weekend. They have two different canvases. Um, it's activist act- afternoons, and you can look it up online. I'll tweet about it. We there was a hundred and thirty people making phone calls. I was calling for a woman in Michigan in the eighth district, um, and you just are you're on your computer, and the phone is just constantly dialing. Yep. You have no time. So somebody hangs up with you, and then they find another person, and it's like they have already said hello, and so you're like, hi, I'm blah, blah, blah. Um, It's easier, I think, to knock on somebody's door. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where I'm going to head at. Hopefully the weather is great this weekend, and we can uh, go from there. So, Are you going back down to, like, Weymouth? No, I'm going to do it in Cambridge. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of GOTV, when I saw Ayana at um, the the vigil (laughs) the other night, you know when you just say dumb stuff and you're oh, like, yeah. why am I so dumb? <laughs> you're not. I, I was saying goodbye to her and I was like, good luck on Tuesday. Hope you win. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you're such a loser. I'm such a loser. Cringe, okay. cringe, 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 cringe. So the last thing I do want to talk about really briefly is the Cambridge Digs Deep Community Forum on November 28th. It's going to be facilitated by Dr. Denise Amante. She's the CEO of the Disruptive Equity Education Project. And really our goal for the first forum, it's going to be a series of forums, is really to talk about equity, engage in dialogue about microaggressions, privilege, and what it truly means to live in a diverse community. Everyone's welcome. There's going to be food and childcare. The event starts at 530. The So you can come 530, eat, mingle a little bit. Where is it? It's Fletcher Maynard. Oh, okay. Um, and the, at the gymnasium. So uh, please hold the date, November Wednesday, November 28th. I'll be talking about it probably on every podcast uh, up until... Between now and then. Between but now this and then. is just the first of... Of five. There's right? a first of five, but this is this is really kicking it off, and I think it's really important that we have as many community members here. Uh, you know, we did the unveiled play that many of you came. Yeah. Uh, we did the implicit bias discussion to which many of you came as well, and this is just this is like another part of it where we dig deep, and we'll have a facilitator who is guiding us through these conversations. So great. Um, what else? To that, I think that's it. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, I was, uh, I, if you uh, get the Cambridge Chronicle today. Oh, I saw your face. You saw on my the cover. face. Yeah, I'm on the cover, so. Cover girl. Yeah, I'm on the cover. I, I Wait, hate what that picture. You, I like that picture. Oh, I hate that picture. You okay. should get another picture. Taken. I want one, yeah. Um. So what was it about? So it's about what we, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago, but the 
just the Not importance. everybody listens every week. You're right. I know. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> it's about the uh, increases in legal aid funding. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were able to get another lawyer uh, to Cambridge the Legal Services. And again, services. this is the first. It seemed like at, when I got to the end, you were saying this is the first of a few. Yeah. I'll be writing a lot just about housing issues uh, in the next few weeks and, and months uh, and stuff that, uh, you know, all of us are working on. Well, I really look forward to that. I think it's um, so important to be reaching out and talking to as many people as possible about yeah. housing. Yeah, baby's first op-ed. <laughs> Baby, baby's first op Everyone run out and get a copy of the Cambridge Chronicle, which, by the way, actually exists as a paper. Yes. I did not know until I started working at City Hall. <laughs> and I got one delivered to my desk, and I was like, What? I thought it just existed online. Yeah, I saw it today. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you get one for your mom? You know what? I should. You totally should. should. What's wrong with you? I know. I'm a bad daughter. All right. Well, so we won't be around next week because Stumble is going to be stalking celebs (laughs) and Instagramming food. (laughs) You know me too well. I know. No, no. I'm going to be learning a lot. Also that. Yeah. um, So we will be back after Veterans Day. Yeah. Um, but again, thank you for being here. Thank you for, for listening, listening and supporting us. For, yes. <laughs> and this. if you like this podcast, please tell your friends. Tell your friends. Spread it. Spread the word. Spread, spread the, the love. love. <laughs> Jinx. Jinx. Okay. All right. Well, you, everybody have a great couple of weeks. Bye. See, see you. Bye.